Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who show. In this special episode, we're looking at the rise of Skywalker. I'm Rob. I'm Dave. I'm Richard. And here we all are. Guys, we've just seen the rise of Skywalker. Me in the last 24 hours, you guys in the last, I guess, 48 hours. And we're here to talk about it. I guess we'll start with no spoilers and then we'll increasingly move into big spoilers and I'm sure we're going to have a hell of a discussion. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good, having lived through sort of inferno-like conditions in Melbourne over the last day, but very much looking forward to discussing this <laughs> Star Wars film with both of you. And yes, we'll have a brief non-spoiler discussion, then we'll bring down the spoiler curtain, and then it's going to be hard spoilers straight from that moment, I promise. So yeah, very excited. And Richard? Yeah, um, firstly, thanks for having me on for this. Um, yeah, much to say, I'm in Melbourne as well, so yes, uh, very unpleasant down here yesterday. But uh, I'm looking forward to having a discussion about this. So one thing I want to say is, obviously, we all did early screenings. Richard and I did a midnight screening at a big cinema in Melbourne. What struck me right from the start is, although the cinemas were, were full and there were multiple cinemas doing midnight, there wasn't quite that level of excitement beforehand that we've seen before, well, frankly, every other Star Wars movie we've seen at midnight. There weren't nearly as many people sort of no. in costumes and parading around and that sort of activity this time. No, there wasn't. And actually, I don't think the cinema we were in was... I don't think it was full. It was probably about maybe two-thirds, three-quarters full. But no, there were very, very few people in costume for this one or wandering around with plastic lightsabers and that sort of stuff. Yeah, which is... I don't know that necessarily means anything, but I just thought it was interesting that maybe that must-see buzz has sort of died down. I mean, we have had five Star Wars films now in the last few years. Yeah, um, maybe we're all Star wars out. Yeah, I think so, Rich. I think Star Wars Doubt is a very, very good term. And to talk about my cinema, which was at 9pm later that same day. You guys saw it at midnight, I saw it at 9pm later that day. Uh, we walked into the cinema, my wife and I, into the into the complex, that is, and it was actually empty. And I thought, wow. okay, this is a multiplex. There are a lot of cinemas here, like I guess seven or eight or something like that. They can't have all have gone in simultaneously, can they? Because there was literally no one there. We were heading down to Gold Class, which was a little section at the back of the, the, the cinema, so I wasn't concerned about my screening per se, but in terms of people actually being there in the complex, it was, it was empty. Again, unless all the sessions had gone in simultaneously and were all in at that time, it was really, really weird. And uh, we went down to Gold Class, and, and it had a good number of people in there and our section was full our little cinema which i guess holds about i don't know 24 people or 30 people or whatever but it didn't seem like there was a lot of bars or anything even the merchandise like the special cups and things seemed a bit lackluster it was all a bit yeah star wars again you didn't buy one of those giant r2d2 cups with the popcorn and the uh... oh look i did see I, I i say it was lackluster i was talking about the cups in particular but yes there was that big popcorn holder which was like about i don't know what would you call it about one eighth size r2d2 or something one six yeah. maybe they did look good but i think they're about a hundred bucks or more so i know wow. i didn't get one <laughs> well having said that the anticipation probably wasn't what it was back in the days when there were 20 year breaks between star wars films rob richard did you enjoy it? Rob, I'll let you go first. Oh, Dave, there's so much to say here. Um, Headline comments. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I enjoyed it. I mean, I think the film's incredibly rushed. It felt like two movies squashed into one. In a particular sense, it's a real mess. But yes, dot, 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 I liked it. Richard? I actually thought it was a bit, not rushed, but I was surprised it only went for about two hours and ten minutes because it felt like longer. I was sort of when the credits came up and I looked at my watch, uh, I was sort of like, oh, wow, it's only 20 past two. So there's a lot happening. I, I have seen some stuff saying it's a fairly safe movie, like there's no really big, bold moves or anything in it, but I really enjoyed it. I thought, look, it closed it out quite well. I've probably got a couple of things about my expectations going in, which we might delve into once we sort of raise the spoiler curtain. But uh, yeah, overall, look, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. Uh, it is certainly a lot of movie. There was a huge amount packed in. And at one point, I remember sort of thinking about just how much had happened so far. I just, just looked at my watch to see how far into this movie where I was like, you know, we passed the half hour mark, whatever. And we were only about 18 minutes in. And they packed a huge amount into that. So there was a lot. I did enjoy it. I, as I was enjoying the movie as I watched it. There was some really cool stuff happening. When the credits started, I thought, yeah, that was a really fun movie. 
I have to say, at risk of bringing in the Marvel comparisons right at the start, I wasn't as blown away as I was by the last two um, Avengers films, um, Infinity War and Endgame, where they were just just blew me away. But it was very, very good. That said, in the two days since I've seen it, and I've kind of let the plot float around in my mind and chatted about, chatted about it with a couple of people, it is a very easy movie to just completely rip apart if that's what you want to do. And there are a couple of conceits that I think if they work for you, then you'll love the movie. If they fall down for you, this movie's going to be a real problem for you. So I get why... There's actually been quite a bit of divisive commentary on this movie, certainly amongst friends that I've seen. But, headline, it was a fun adventure movie, and I enjoyed it. Excellent. Well, I think this will be a great discussion. Cool. So, shall we bring up the spoiler curtain then and dive in? Yes. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so, I've made a few general points to sort of guide this conversation, but we'll, we'll, we'll move it around, and I'm sure we'll go off on tangents as we want to do. The first thing I want to say is, this really feels like J.J. Abrams made the film for the fans and really took a lot of fan commentary on the internet to heart. Characters that fans like suddenly got to do a lot of that stuff that they liked. Characters that got bashed on Twitter and on social media suddenly were relegated down to sort of third-tier status. And there are lots of little moments where... Like, like there were moments happening, for example, the medal that Chewie got where I thought, I've seen that on the internet, the fans have been demanding that, and clearly Abrams has just ticked that box. Did you get that impression as well? Yeah, very much so. I mean, thinking about the characters, uh, Rose Tico, is it? She really had nothing to do in that movie at all. Yeah, she really did get quite badly shafted, I thought, given that she was a main part of uh, Episode Eight, and suddenly she's just, you know the gopher for Princess Leia, really. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, she was set up in The Last Jedi as very much a sort of a, a love interest for Finn, yet this film was sort of showing Finn had a lot of interest in Rey via him wanting to be always telling her something and, and Poe getting a bit upset, and it seemed that there was almost a love triangle going on there. Maybe to sort of show that love triangle, they had to downplay Rose a bit, otherwise it would look really weird that he was chasing Ray while he was with Rose. But then he sort of falls for Janna a bit towards the end of the film, so I'm very confused about Finn's love life. <laughs> He's quite the ladies' man, obviously. So, to the broader point though, Rob, I mean, you've been deeper into the Star Wars fandom than Richard and I have, and you've done Star Wars podcasts, and you're sort of better connected with all that. Did you feel that this was a movie for the fans, or at least for what JJ thought the fans wanted? Oh, very much so. Very much so. Uh, And I think that's partly a reaction to The Last Jedi and people's, you know, thoughts about that. But I also think it's just more in line with what JJ does. The Force Awakens was very much for the fans too. It retrod a new hope. It felt like a comfortable pair of slippers. It felt very safe and it felt fun. The second film was all about, you know, subverting expectations and really doing some odd stuff, which this film tries to uh, rearrange in a few places mm-hmm. uh, as well, almost like an Abrams up yours to The Last Jedi. So I think, yeah, it's, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other for mine. I think it's just a natural inclination for how Abrams wants to make Star Wars, and it's also conscious of what people said after The Last Jedi. Uh, I want to move on to the two big conceits. And one of the comments that I made to uh, you, Richard, and, and Michael and his wife who came with us to the screening as soon as I walked out was, basically, you could rewrite the opening scroll for episode nine to simply say, hey, kids, Palpatine is alive again. He's got a massive fleet with a huge crew. Just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of the things I think I was really talking about when I talked about the two big conceits. If you just sort of buy this idea that okay, for some reason that's unexplained, Palpatine's now alive again and building himself a new body with those tube things, yep, cool, whatever. Oh, and by the way, he's built an entire fleet and manned it with well-trained crews, and it's all sort of happened on a secret planet that no one can get to. If you are willing to just go, you know what, it's Star Wars, it's a movie, whatever, I'll go with it, then that's fine, that can be a very fun concept. But I suspect if you fall just the wrong side of that and you're like, how the hell does that work? Or indeed, <laughs> it's it's that thing of, okay, so the big thing that's been happening in this universe has all been happening for two movies without us having any idea or any reference to it. 
And if that doesn't work for you, I think that this movie just won't work for you. Yes, yes, I would agree with that. I think uh, it was a big surprise. I mean, look, we all knew Palpatine was coming back because we'd all seen it in the trailers, but that that was a big surprise that he was also the head of a, a massive fleet and a massive army, and the fleet is all armed with planet-killing guns. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit like that... Um, it's, it's, I'm reminded a bit of that Family Guy thing where they worked out, you know, how you write um, how you write dialogue for the Emperor. You know, no one really cares as long as you sort of do the something, something, dark side, something, something, <laughs> complete. <laughs> no one cares about the rest of it. <laughs> and let's face it, I mean, he's, yeah. there, he's there to be the pantomime villain, so of course he's got a big star fleet. Yeah. Yeah, look, originally... Uh, this would be a different director and a different writer, obviously. Palpatine wasn't in this third part. That's been confirmed by Colin Trevorrow, who was going to direct this. So I think at some point in this conversation, we've got to talk about The Last Jedi and what it did and all the mystery boxes it threw away from the first film and how it sent things off on, a, on just a wacky course. It killed off Snoke. We never explained him. And suddenly, what are we going to do, guys? We need a new big bad. Let's just grab Palpatine. And I like it on one level on on another level though it completely undercuts anakin skywalker's sacrifice in return of the jedi you know we just have to put that on the table the whole point of those six films was leading up to his redemption and Mm. killing the emperor but if the emperor was never killed then what what was the point of that I, i guess he came good again and said hi to luke before he died but other than that it was all for nothing because he didn't actually kill the emperor the emperor came back yeah look you know gosh but then that's maybe thinking about it too much yeah look i i don't want to go too far into this because we've had this discussion on a number of the reviews we've done i think it kind of is a fairly self-evident point but there's there's no way that this trilogy was a properly designed plotted out trilogy we know that that's clearly evident uh clearly things were set up in part one that they hadn't worked out what they were going to be some of them were picked up in part two some of them were discarded in part two and then jj's come back and left some discarded i think snoke was kind of given a one-line explanation that enough to satisfy the fanboys and move on on the other hand and this brings us to the second big conceit you're right in force awakens there's the big setup of who is ray in last jedi there's the undermining of that which i actually quite liked that ray's a nobody ray's just a random person who's force sensitive now we get to last skywalker and ray is Spoilers, the granddaughter of Palpatine, who found time whilst conquering the universe to, you know, raise a family. <laughs> <laughs> and and his and it wasn't there a line. Your family were nobodies because they wanted to be nobodies. They're actually somebody, but they wanted to be nobody. That's why they were nobodies. It's like, oh my god, what? <laughs> yeah. So so that's you know, we, I don't need to labour this point because as I say, I think it is very self-evident they were clearly making this up as they go along, they are going to be contrasted, and I think in this case fairly, with what Feige has done with the Marvel movies, where things that are seeded are paid off in a consistent narrative sort of way. Um, Does that undermine the enjoyment of the three adventure movies? No, I think you can watch them and get past that. Let's face it, the same thing happened in the original trilogy. Leia, you know, started off as a love interest for Luke and suddenly... Lucas is like, actually, that, that, you know, I'm your father revelation was a big deal. I want that in my third movie. I know, let's make Leia Luke's sister. Like, like let's, let's not pretend that Star Wars has been this wonderful ongoing narrative. Don't forget, in Star Wars, when it was first written, Darth Vader was not Luke's father. He was just some bad guy, and that was invented for Empire Strikes Back to give it a twist. So, Star Wars has never been a coherent narrative. That's fine. The movies all stand on their own. I think they're all enjoyable, or well, certainly the, the back six anyway. But as a trilogy, no, it clearly doesn't work. I think there's one profound difference though, Dave, and that's although they made the original trilogy up as they went along, it was still one guy's vision. And this is what blows my mind about what Disney did here. It was like, JJ, you write a film. What's the second guy's name? Ryan, Ryan Johnson, you write a film. And Colin, Colin Trevorrow, you write a film. Uh, See if they link up. And that will never link up as well as if it's one dude overseeing it all. My overriding thought through this whole process is I'd rather just JJ did them all. 
Well, you know what? I'd rather just Ryan Johnson did them all. You might not like him, but at least it'll be coherent across the board instead of, you know, Ryan coming in after the first film and chucking away mystery boxes. Whether they're small things like, you know, who are the Knights of Ren or how did Maz Kanata get Luke's lightsaber or major stuff like who is Snoke, who is Rey? You know, the second film just chucked most of that away. And, you know, as you say, we came back to a lot of it in this film. We, we see the Knights of Ren. We don't really learn much more about them. We see that Snoke is, you know, sort of a clone that Palpatine's been a puppeteer of in some way. And we learn more about Rey's parents and so on. So it does pay off in the end. But I think it would have been made much more sense if just one guy or woman was overseeing the whole thing. Yeah, or there'd been an executive producer with that creative role that said, right, here are the bouncing beats of the three movies. Um, around these beats, you create whatever plots and adventures you need. But... This mm. th- these key events must occur in each of the movies. You're you're right. Uh, can we talk though about that particular revelation? Because I must admit, I think the most speculation that we've had from fans across these movies has been who is Ray. Uh, I like the idea of her being a, a nobody, and I think the biggest thing that I think was thrown away out of Last Jedi that I thought was the coolest part of Last Jedi is this idea that there are force sensitive people out there even without the Jedi, you know, the kids that we saw at the end, that sort of thing, and Ray would have been an example, and the Jedi will sort of come back through randoms, not through some sort of aristocracy. I thought that was a great idea. It was thrown out. But Richard, would you agree, when we were in the cinema and we got that revelation that you're Palpatine's grand- granddaughter, there was a an audible moment of, wow, from the audience. <laughs> yes, yes, there was. Who Ray was was probably, yeah, you're right, one of the big unanswered questions. It felt very much like just thinking across the three movies, you're right. Um, the second film was very much, the, I didn't really like a lot of what you did, so I'm just going to chuckle that out and do what I want to do. Um, and then, yes, the third movie is JJ going, well, actually, hang on, no, 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 no. That, that was all rubbish, and I, I'm bringing it back on what I wanted to do all along. And you're right, JJ probably should have done all three of them. Because if nothing else, it would have saved us that really lame casino plot out of the second one. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> we're not here to relitigate the last year, no. Please, we're not here to relitigate the last year. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> which, which actually, I was going to say, in some ways actually leads me to one of my things I wanted to say about it. Because my biggest expectation going in um, was actually how they would handle Carrie Fisher. And it surprised me, actually, how much footage clearly there was of her that that they, for whatever reason, wasn't used in Last Jedi. That was my main interest going in, was probably actually how they would write her out. Yeah, and I thought that was actually done very well. And indeed, do we want want to expand this out now and just talk about how this movie dealt with and said goodbye to the old guard, who are really the characters that we grew up with, Luke, Leia, Lando, and and, and C-3PO. Did you think that they were handled well respectfully and, and, and you enjoyed the end of their story Rob oh look I, I do and I'll start with Carrie because I haven't had a chance to, to mention her I've seen people say you know Carrie Fisher is the backbone of this film and that's a lovely thing to say but it's not true at all there, there are so many of the scenes that are just filmed from the back of her head yeah. and she she makes just really odd statements that don't entirely fit into the dialogue and of course i get why that is of course i do uh and in some cases i assume they've had a body double and just put her head on from different you know scenes from force awakens uh and so on so i i can see how they've done it i can see why they did it i'm still a bit confused as to what she died of um my wife suggested boredom because she just seemed to be standing around those uh cargo crates uh with other people saying weird random things that didn't really fit in and then she just said well i'm i'm, I'm off now i'm gonna have a lie down bex and a lie down and uh died <laughs> okay so it was all a bit but weird didn't she do the thing at the end of the um at the end of that where she'd actually reached out to Ben Solo to turn him back. That was actually what I took. She'd actually done that whole exertion thing that Luke did in the second film. Yeah, that's exactly what I took it to be. It was exactly what Luke did at the end of Last Jedi, and that was the exertion um, meant that it was the end of her life, and I kind of bought that, because that that actually was a carry-on from Last Jedi. We'd seen that set up as a, a concept, and I did get the emotional bit as well, that to finally save her son, she had to do this thing and sacrifice herself. That actually worked quite well for me. Within the parameters, as you say, Rob, that obviously Carrie Fisher wasn't there to film it, so what, what was it as directorially or as film, filmatically 
well done as it would be if she was alive. Absolutely not, and that's a shame. But I, I got the emotional beat, and I got the plot beat, no problems. Okay, okay, no problem. I'll jump now because you asked me about the old characters and I'll just say briefly before Richard you can dive in Lando I thought was handled incredibly well and uh, I guess because the spoiler curtain's down now Han Solo anybody Mm. (laughs) he was he was handled really well and a complete surprise to me I was a spoiler hound for this movie and I had no idea he was coming in no they kept that really quiet and uh, just as an aside I know Dave is but I don't know if you're a listener Rob to the Fat Man Beyond podcast kevin smith's one no no, no, not oh i have um he actually because he's been on the road touring his new movie but he actually came back for an episode that dropped i think yesterday or the day before um and he'd been to one of the previews um and one of the things he mentioned was he goes oh harrison ford was uh, uh, at the preview he he was obviously just one of the guests that they'd invited because you know it was the final movie and stuff and i thought you bastard (laughs) (laughs) wow But uh, no, that was a real surprise. It was a real surprise, and I thought it was really well done. I thought it was it was just enough to ensure that Harrison Ford was included in this last movie and got a goodbye scene. I thought it was done really well, really tastefully, and, and that was good. Uh, I want to say, though, you're right. Although I wasn't expecting this and this was a surprise, I was expecting other people who didn't turn up and was a little bit disappointed because there'd been all this stuff around the media. I didn't go looking for this spoilers. It just popped up in, in, in media about Hayden Christensen having filmed some stuff for this movie. And I'm mm. actually quite a Hayden Christensen fan. And so I was quite excited by that and thought, okay, he's going to get one almost redemptive sort of scene or he'll be, you know, he'll be a force ghost or something. That'd be really cool. I guess he was just one of the voices that we heard. Um, I certainly picked out a couple of others. I know Liam Neeson was in there. Um, Yoda was definitely in there. I think I heard Samuel L. Jackson in there. So obviously all these old Jedis had filmed a line, but yes, I was a bit disappointed I didn't get to see Hayden Christensen because I was expecting Mm. Yeah, I believe things had been filmed that didn't end up in the film. There was, you know, leading up to the film, there were lots of spoilers and people say, oh, these spoilers, they're just made up. But no, they weren't made up. They were in the film. And the same people who were relaying those spoilers were also relaying who had filmed what. And I do believe Hayden had filmed stuff. I believe Mark Hamill had filmed a lot more stuff. And with those Jedi voices at the end, I think it would have been a lot stronger if we'd actually seen those Jedi appear behind her. Even if the Emperor couldn't see them and only Rey could see them. You know, almost a ghost of a Christmas past or something behind, coming yeah, up behind like, Rey. Like, like that final scene of like Claudius where Claudius sees all the Emperors before he dies. <laughs> yes, sure, exactly. sure. Because because then, you know, those, those uh, voices were echoing around our cinema. You could hear one from that speaker on the left and one from that speaker on the right. It was very surround sound. Mm. And I thought I recognised some names. And when I looked at the credits, I tried to pick out some of the names. And I did see Liam Neeson and and such. But I think it would have been far more effective if you knew who was who. Mm. If you actually saw them saying the lines, you saw a Liam Neeson and saw a Hayden Christensen. I would have much rathered that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, I would have too. Uh, And I think that would have been okay. I I think, and perhaps to wrap up the, the conversation about the old guard, although we perhaps have to talk about a couple more, I thought that the use of the old guard overall was quite good in that they got to be a part of the film, but I don't think they undermined the new characters that, that they should have been about. And it, I think it would have been problematic, for example, if in the final battle with the Emperor, uh, Ray and Ben had suddenly been joined by force ghosts of Mace Windu and Yoda and Luke and, and Anakin. You know, it would have been like, okay, guys, you know, you got to play with these toys, but this is really our movie. And that would have undermined them quite a bit. So I, I'm glad they didn't do that. I agree that Lando was used exactly the right amount. And again, a really nice tribute to him. Although, again, because I think we knew that uh, he was in the movie, I knew which character he was the moment he was there. I didn't need him to reveal the mask. I'm like, that's Lando! <laughs> <laughs> and, and C-3PO actually got some kind of good lines as well. Yeah, 3PO got great lines. The one character I would have liked to have seen maybe just another line or two from was Wedge. I mean, we had Wedge, he was gunning in the Falcon, and he had, like, one quick line. I was like, that's Wedge. Oh, he's gone. And then he was never back again. I'm not even sure he was in the credits. Um, I would have loved to have had just one more Wedge line, like a classic Wedge line. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah. Yeah. Aside from that, Chewbacca, I mean, the the big scene where we think he was dead. Did we we really believe in that? Yeah, you're saying the same thing I'm saying, Richard, because we didn't see a death scene. We didn't see him railing against the light and, you know... And it's like, when you don't see them die, they're not really dead. Um, you know, so did we really believe in that? 
No, no. one of my minor criticisms of the film is that they did play the, oh my God, this character's dead. Nah, not really. Card way too much. Um, I almost thought, write this. I, I was about to make the same joke wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I mean, they did it with a couple of characters. And yes, I, I did think it was possible with Chewie. I thought actually that would be quite a cool way for him to sort of go in just this like heat of battle, like, oh my God, he's gone. Um, and it would have really brought some power to what had happened between Ray and Kylo. But no, I didn't really believe it. And yeah, I think they did play the, oh my God, they've killed him card a little bit too much. Yeah, well, I mean, technically, I suppose they did it with C-3PO as well. I mean, they did the whole thing where, you know, if they force him to translate the Sith thing, it'll wipe his mind completely. Um, and then, of course, you get to make all the jokes about, you know, who are you? And then everybody says um, that the little thing that... Um, reprogrammed his brain is his oldest friend like 20 minutes later yeah babu frick yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yeah no that, that that was quite fun but but i mean let's face it you knew he was going to get his memory back yeah absolutely so shall we move on then to the new guard so ray kylo finn poe i guess are the main ones i'll kick this one off and just say i thought that of all the things that this trilogy did well it was bringing home the stories of these four main characters. I thought they all got a good bit of the plot. I thought they did work quite well as a team. And I really was starting to feel that they were a team in the way that Han and Luke and Leia were. I particularly loved all the stuff with Kylo and Rey. And particularly during their battle on the ruins of the Death Star. Without it needing to be said, without anything else... I just got the feeling from the way this was shot and what was happening that these were two incredibly powerful Jedis just going toe-to-toe on this. That, to me, it was just phenomenally good. I'm actually going to say that that is now my second favourite duel in the whole of the Star Wars saga. Uh, it, it really was, I think, a great moment and they served them really well. The redemption plot with Kylo... I thought was also done really well. It was effective and it was emotional without being schmaltzy. Um, whilst, you know, I have a soft spot for Kylo and I would have liked to see, or, or Ben, and I would have liked to see him survive. I think thematically he did have to die at the end of it. You can't be the bad guy and be that much of a bad guy and survive. I don't think that would have been satisfying. And the way they he did it, in, in a very Babylon 5 way, with that, that machine from Babylon 5, where you can give a bit of your life energy to solve to, to heal a wound, but to bring someone back from the dead, you need to use all your life energy. Um, mm. That, to me, again, without, without dialogue explaining that, I got what was happening there. And I just thought that was probably a really, really big, good part of the movie for me. Richard, what about you? I think the Ray and Kylo stuff was the probably the best of the three, or best of the character arcs. Uh, I think they would have been very physically demanding roles for both of them. They would have put them through quite a bit. But uh, you're right. I agree pretty much everything you've said there. I, I think both those stories ended really, really well. We maybe didn't need the coda, perhaps with Ray at the end. I, I guess it's a nice sort of feel-good close to the to the saga, isn't it? Well, I'll, I'll let Rob give his comment on those characters, and then I'll, then we'll address the code because I think that does need a couple of separate comments. But Rob, what about your thoughts? Yeah, look, gosh, Ray, Finn, and Poe. Finally, finally, guys, they have an adventure together. Mm. Yeah. Oh, what a what a concept, and it's great. I mean, this should have been happening in the first film, certainly by the second film, but here we have it in the third film. We have those caves with that big snake, and they're creeping around. You have that wonderful. Uh, moment where Lay ignites the lightsaber and uh, Poe ignites his uh, <laughs> flashlight and sort of looks at it. And that is just marvellous Star Wars humour. Then they go to that snowy planet and they've got the cloaks on and they meet Zori Bliss. That's almost like from a second film. This is what I mean earlier about this almost being like multiple films in one. You're seeing all these adventures they're having and I just think, oh, we could have been doing this in a less rushed way you know, a film or two ago, and then people would really care about these three guys in terms of them being like the, the new big three, the new Han, Luke, and Leia. And instead, it's all happening in the third film. And it's wonderful, but it's a bit late. You know, Ugh, frustrating. Yeah, but but yeah, I thought all characters really got some, some good stuff. John Boyega as well, I need to highlight his performance, I thought was exceptionally good. And he's got a big future in front of him, I think, as an actor. Um, we did mention the code there, and I said we'll get back to it. I am kind of with you, Richard. Actually, no, I'm definitely with you. I had a number of problems with the coda. I didn't think it was needed. I thought it was really obvious. 
Um, I thought it was a bit too schmaltzy. Uh, maybe it'll work for some people. It didn't work for me. But the other interesting point is that if this is meant to be the final scene of a nine-movie saga, why was the coda a call back to part four, not part one? And I think it kind of just shows that J.J. was making a movie for fans of the original trilogy and the prequels are almost kind of a like thing that we don't talk about. And I think if you were really trying to wrap up a, a saga that started with episode one and you had to have a coda to do that, it really should have been on Naboo. But the fact that it was not just on Tatooine, but at the Skywalker well, moisture farm, which isn't seen until Star Wars, which if you watch them in order now, is technically number four. Yeah, I just thought that was an interesting uh, choice. Rob, what about you? Look, I'm, I'm going to go against the grain here, and I'll start by saying episode one does feature Tatooine and the Skywalkers, so in a sense it, it is harking back to them, in a sense. Uh, I first heard that the movie would end with Ray saying, I'm Ray, Ray Skywalker, as a spoiler on Reddit, oh, I don't know, six months ago? Right. But at least a fair while back. And as soon as I read that, and just reading it on the page, I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Oh, yuck. Yuck, yuck, yuck. What are they doing? I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. But when I actually saw it on the screen, I went with it. And I thought, that's actually quite nice. And I think seeing Luke and Leia before she decided to say that she was a Skywalker was really good. Um, I wasn't fully emotionally invested, but I was halfway there and I went with it. But I'll tell you something, guys. In the last few hours, my uh, sister-in-law over in the U.S., has uh, put something up on Facebook. It's got nothing to do with Star Wars at all. You know how people post inspirational quotes and things on Facebook. She's just posted one of those, which is, you know, meaningful to her. And it says, uh, Blood is thicker than water. There's a bastardization of the full quote, The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Basically, those who stand by you, who shed blood with you, uh, beside you in battle, they are your family. Bonds of loyalty and choice are stronger than mere genetics. And I instantly thought, holy hell, that's the whole meaning of this film, if not the whole saga, and that's the meaning of that scene, that she's not a Skywalker by genetics, but by loyalty and her choice, her choice in particular, she is a Skywalker and she is their family. And I'm just fully on board this train, and I'm like, yeah, I get that. I I love it. Oh, cool. Well, we we disagree a bit there. Like, I didn't hate it, but I just thought it was unneeded. And I, but but I get if it landed for you, that would have been an awesome moment. And I, I guess no moment is going to be perfect. Like no moment is going to satisfy everyone when you're trying to wrap up a nine movie saga. And that's and, and that, that's just us being fans. Yeah, and I was going to say, and something that let's face it has stretched what now forty two years. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm, sadly, I'm old enough. I mean, I went and saw the original. Uh, a, a new hope uh, back when I was what just turned eight so um, yeah and, and here I am now basically at, at, at 50 and there's still Star Wars so <laughs> yeah and the, and the idea that those can be perfectly tied together I think was stretching for the the infinite on that note though can I ask you both a question uh, I'll go Richard then Rob mm-hmm. um, give me a one sentence answer first and then we can tease out any any caveats were you satisfied that Rise of Skywalker did tie together and wrap up both this trilogy and the saga? Richard? I think it certainly wrapped up this trilogy. I don't know about the saga so much, and maybe we can talk about that in the, in a minute. Um, and it might not be certainly because the story is done. Um, I think it's perhaps more because... I think it might be a little while before we come back to big cinematic uh, Star Wars movies. Fair enough. Rob? Yeah, trilogy, yes. Saga, I have to think more about. And it's it's a possible yes, but I've got to really think about nine films, and I haven't really done that yet. Yeah, I thought that it emotionally did. I thought, we, as we discussed, the old characters got to say goodbye properly. There were good references to the past. I mean, there were lots of visual references to the past, like we went to the Emperor's throne room, that sort of thing. So to tease that out, Richard, I think you had a couple of points, and Rob, I know you did. Was there anything that left hanging loose at the end of this that you're disappointed by or really noted? I don't know that there's any real unresolved plot threads 
Um, I mean, look, there is always questions and things about um, more detail about certain characters or certain situations or whatever. Um, plus, of course, there's always the what they did next uh, thing. Yeah. Um, I was viewing it more from the point of view that given you've just had these three movies and look, they had the two standalone ones um, and look, they had mixed reception um, and now you've unveiled all these TV series and, and look, we haven't mentioned Mandalorian and I know we're going to have a separate discussion about that, but that seems to be kicking major goals. Oh yes. I'm, I'm actually wondering whether it will be a little while we'll, we'll have a break from Star Wars movies for, you know, five years or something before they try again. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me, and I certainly wouldn't be surprised if, although obviously any future Star Wars movie will be set in the Star Wars universe, they just go completely away from the established plot canon of this saga and just let themselves roam free, which is kind of like, kind of what Mandalorian is doing. Mandalorian has effectively no link to the saga. It's just characters in this universe, and that makes you a... Uh, a, a lot freer to do what you like. Rob, what about you? Anything you were left unsatisfied with or any obvious strands you thought shouldn't should have been tied up that weren't? Look, I think the big one for me is the Emperor in this film. We've talked about how he originally wasn't going to be in it back when Colin Trevorrow wrote the film. Uh, I would have rather that he wasn't there at all. I mean, everyone keeps banging on about how this was meant to be a new trilogy with new characters, yet it always kept dipping back into the past. I guess for fear that the old fans wouldn't stick with it. And funnily enough, conversely, I think old fans would have preferred to think that, yes, the Emperor did die and Anakin Skywalker's sacrifice really meant something. I think old fans, ironically, would have preferred this new character, Snoke, to have been built, built up into a scary new big bad and our heroes, our new heroes, were going to take him down in this film. I think that would have been more interesting in the long run. I really, really do. I, th I think having Palpatine back was not so good. In the same way, and I think all three of us have bigged up and spoken with fondness of the Timothy Zahn trilogy in the past, the same way that that introduced and built up Grand Admiral Thrawn in a really successful way, is that kind of what you would have liked? That would have been great, absolutely. I mean, but that first film shows Snoke, who is Snoke? This is amazing. This is one of the big mystery boxes of the film. And then it was absolutely our expectations were subverted in that second film. And that's frustrating on one level, but it's also just annoying because I think they could have done so much with him. This great new character. Why are we bringing back Palpatine? He's dead. Anakin Skywalker killed him. You know, move on. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, can we all agree the visuals were stunning? They were really good, yep. Uh, particularly, I wanted to highlight that final battle at the end. And, and look, I think I knew about halfway through the film where they sent uh, whoever it was off to just go and see if you can find any friendly people that you know want to fight for us. I knew that the scene then was going to be it's it's Babylon Five in that last final battle of season four. It's uh, end game <laughs> in that moment where the portals all open. Yeah, you know, there was going to be that moment of hey, everybody, look at all these ships suddenly... You know, just when everything's lost, when all hope is gone, oh, wow, look, there we all are. Everybody's coming in. The community has, has rallied, and we're going to save the day. Uh, that, that plot point was, you know, obvious from halfway through the movie, but who cares, because it looked amazing. Was it a mistake, though, to point... They actually point out on screen that the last time they tried this, no one showed up at all. Uh, which is what happened in The Last Jedi when they asked for help. Uh, here they asked for help and everyone shows up. And they actually highlighted that last time <laughs> it was completely different. I was like, ooh, I'm not sure I would have done that. Well, uh, yes, but it's a movie. And, and, and in the second part of a trilogy, you kind of have to have the, the baddies look serious. It's the same that happened in Empire. Um, you know, things have to look beyond all hope. And then suddenly everybody rallies and comes good for the conclusion. What was it cheesy and obvious? Yes, but it's movies. There is one new character I want to ask you two guys about because we haven't mentioned him at all. And that's General Pride, played by Richard E. Grant. I thought he was highly effective gunning down Hux when it's obviously Hux is the traitor. He has a plan B immediately when that beacon is going to get taken out. He's like, yeah, no problem. We'll just guide them from this ship. Yeah, big deal. You know, he is a great character. I would have loved him to have been in all three films as kind of a, a major enemy. So can we just assume that Donald Gleason was just busy and could basically only do one recording set? 
don't know. Well, because well, honestly, that, that was my takeaway. Like, you've introduced Hux, you've built him up to be the not the big bad, but the medium bad for the trilogy. And, and I thought he was great. I thought Donald, Donald Gleeson was great in all three movies, particularly this one. But it, it's kind of like we've kind of just sort of moved him to the side and we've introduced older Hux to, to do exactly the same job. And Hux has sort of turned to the good... I thought, look, it was justified, but that line about I just want Kylo to lose, but I didn't think it really worked. And honestly, my assumption was that Domal Gleeson's like, look, I can give you a month, but I can't give you six months, so just do all my scenes in one or two sets and um, I'll give you a bit, so I'm in it, but yeah, and suddenly all of Hux's dialogue is given over to Richard E. Grant, who did do a great job, don't get me wrong, but I just thought that Hux was sidelined unnecessarily. I was just going to say it's Richard E. Grant, so I don't really care what he did. So uh, <laughs> let's face it, he's awesome. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I mean, I'll just say there, I think Hux in the first film was very good, very effective, but the second film, guys, undercut him, made him a joke. You know, he, he had all this family guy sort of pranks pulled on him, you know, your mama jokes mm-hmm. and all this sort of stuff. It, it's almost like they had to bring in a new character to sort of bring back the seriousness because... You know, Hux had been so effectively, you know, shut down in that second film, made a fool of. Uh, uh, uh. But yeah, then I'm look, getting started on Last Jedi again. No, 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 I, I do take your point. That's, that's, a, that's a good point I hadn't considered, and I, I get that. Uh, and the point you raised earlier about the way that Hux was gunned down, that was a very cool moment, and it really did land Richard E. Grant's character as exceptionally good. Yeah, almost Thrawn-like, actually. Mm. Yeah, very, very much so. Uh a couple of little points I want to just quickly discuss, just a couple of comments each, and then we'll see if you guys have got some other points you want to make before we get to our sort of wrap-up dot points. Fan service, too much, too little, or just right? Rob? Uh, for one film, it was too much, but, hey, it's the last film in the saga, allegedly, uh, so I was cool with it. <laughs> yep, Richard? Yeah, much much the same. Um, I, I think some of them really didn't need to be there. They were nice little touches, but really... You know, you could have done without them. Yeah, I'm kind of with Rob on that one. I could have done without them, but being the last film, I'm willing to give it a bit more latitude than I normally would. Um, I, th- I want to mention the uh, LGBT topic. Now, let me say in prelude, I kind of don't mind either way about this in Star Wars. Like, I- is it cool if there's some LGBT rep- representation in the Star Wars universe? Yeah, sure. Um, on the other hand, do I really care who the X-Wing pilot He's going home to at night. No, not really. So, you know, I'm I'm pretty relaxed about whether it's in or out. My problem here, and it's the same I've had with the Chibnall Doctor Who, is if you're going to sort of leak out into the media and have all these articles, particularly in the gay press, about there's going to be LGBT representation in Star Wars. It's going to be a really big deal. And it's literally two seconds in the background right before the end. That, to me, is kind of like trying to have your cake and eating it and actually just getting a bag of flour. I know the bit you're referring to, and yeah, look, it just seems like a lot of build-up for really no payoff, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's my point. If you want to sort of signal that you're going to do this and be inclusive, that's a great thing to be. I'm not knocking that desire. Do it. Don't just have it as, you know, one kiss between a minor character and an extra, literally in the background for two seconds. Like, it's, it's the same as when Chibnall was doing the whole, there's going to be great gay representation in my season of Doctor Who, and it's one character in the New Year's Day special, who's killed after 70 seconds. Like, don't say you're going to do a great thing and then not do it well. Yeah, look, I, I agree with all of that. I think I think this is becoming a bit of a checkbox for people, unless it's it's in a movie somewhere, they're going to call the movie terrible. So it's almost like directors feel they have to shoehorn it in. And that did feel like it was shoehorned in. It wasn't like a natural part of the film. At the same time, though, it was kind of something that just happened in the background. It's like, oh, there's two ladies having a kiss. Isn't that nice? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Know, and we move and, on. And, and, if, and, and if they'd done that without the PR before on the build-up, that would have been a really nice little sort of uh, Easter egg in there for people to go, oh, look at them. They do have gay people in the Star Wars universe. That's cool. That's nice. I just think that they undersold themselves by uh, building it up there. Uh, that's, agree. that's all the dot points that I've got before we get into a couple of sort of not not quite regular segments as, as uh, fans of our Blake 7 podcast, Richard, would call them, but, <laughs> but just a couple of things to wrap it up. Any other general dot points from you guys? I got a few. Uh, I'll start off with physics. The physics of this film was bizarre at times, such as when Finn and Janna jumped onto the Falcon and next thing the Falcon was flying vertically through atmosphere and I thought, what are they hanging on to? 
How is that working? Rob, Rob, uh, Rob yes, it's, yes. It's, the, it's the Force. Oh, of course it is. If, if ever anything doesn't work in the Star Wars universe, the Force did it. <laughs> right. And also the physics of the Force now being able to send through things through space, like uh, Kylo grabbing those beads off Ray's neck. It's interesting, and look, I'm, I'm not against it. It's just a very new thing, and it was physics-related as well, so I've lumped it in there. I, I agree that was interesting. I saw that as, again, a demonstration, without having to say the words, that Kylo and Ray were a, a level above, in terms of force power, what we'd seen before. Mm. Yeah, I was the same, although you're right. It's something we haven't seen before, so um, to sort of unveil it now... Another point for me is that comedy in this film was there, but it felt more clever. It felt like actual Star Wars humour than weird family guy, your mama stuff from The Last Jedi. I mentioned this a moment ago, and I'm mentioning it again. I was much more comfortable with the humour in this film, and there were too many really funny scenes to mention, but even small stuff, like at the end of the film, and Poe gives Zori Bliss that look, and she just shakes shakes her head at him, and his follow-up expression was just gold. I'm like, oh, I love that. That's fantastic. That That's humour. I love that. I will say I think that Ryan Johnson is a far better cinematographic director than J.J. is. I said at the time, I thought Last Jedi was by far the best filmed and the best shot of any Star Wars movie, but I agree, J.J. is far, far better at that character stuff and that humour stuff and that naturalistic stuff. He does that very well. Yeah, I really love the humour in this. Just wonderful. So what I want to do now is move on to, from each of us, a personal disappointment or thing they could have done better, and then we'll do our personal highlight from each film. Uh, Richard, do you want to go first? What's your personal disappointment or thing that you walked away thinking could have been better? Um, it probably ties in a bit to the physics stuff Rob was talking about. Um, when they do the sort of charge across the surface of the um, Star Destroyer, uh, on the back of whatever those animals were. I was sort of a bit, oh, really? I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. that, that was just a bit, oh, wow. Um, I mean, I get why, because they have the line about disable their speeders or whatever, and, and they'd had the setup before that um, where I think it's Finn says, oh, look, I've got an idea about how we how we do this part of it. But, yeah, I, I was a bit like, oh, no, sorry, that, that didn't really land. It is another just go with it moment, isn't it? And and then obviously all the creatures are just wiped out because when they have to pull back off the ship, <laughs> they just forget about all the rides. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Rob, what's your personal disappointment? Uh, look, my personal disappointment is two twofold but related. Uh, we've mentioned that perhaps JJ should have made all three films. That's that's my personal disappointment broadly. But it's possibly that this film wasn't cut into two parts and they didn't do like a Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows type scenario. Um, maybe fans would have rolled their eyes and thought, oh, they're trying to milk it. But I genuinely think there was two films in here that could have been teased out and we would have had a very satisfying setup in the first film and a very satisfying conclusion in the second. I think there was enough material there to work with, you know, augmented with a few extra scenes perhaps. And I'm, I'm disappointed, perhaps, that they didn't decide to do that. It would have messed up the trilogy structure, of course. I get all that. But I think there was just too much to say and do here, partly because of the second film not really leaving it with much. And it had to sort of set up all these new ideas and new storylines from the scratch in one film uh, and tie everything together. Uh, I think it could have been a two-parter. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so my personal disappointment, and I have already mentioned it during the episode, is the Ray being... Palpatine's granddaughter thing and particularly the way that that idea of force sensitive people and a new generation of Jedi coming from across the galaxy was really kind of thrown out in favour of concentrating on just this very aristocratic two noble families kind of conception of the Jedi and I think that it would have been a more interesting end to the film if we had seen like we did at the end of Last Jedi that concept of there are kids out there and people out there that are Force-sensitive and that now are going to form a new order and we're going to go forward like that. Uh, I thought that was a, that was a shame. Uh, so we'll now come to our personal highlights from the film and we'll go back the way we came. So I'll start this time. And again, it's something I've mentioned, but the any interaction between Kylo and Rey was the highlight for me. These two actors are incredibly good They've both got big careers ahead of them. Adam Driver particularly. I've seen him in some other movies he's done over the last couple of years when he's not been filming Star Wars. And he's a really, really good actor. And 
also an actor with quite a bit of variety that I think he's not going to be stuck into doing uh, just action leads, and that's going to be very good for his career. But the two of them together were fantastic. I got this sense of two incredibly powerful Jedis fighting it out. I got the emotional tension between them. So much of what they did was that movie thing of show, don't tell. And I loved every time they were on screen. And so that, to me, was my highlight. Okay, my highlights are, well, there's two. One's minor, one's major. Uh, First of all, two fingers for The Last Jedi. This film has lines in it like a Jedi never throws their saber or that the Holdo maneuver, that was actually just one in a million. Or Luke confessing that he was wrong to go into exile and that a real Jedi would have, you know, stood up and faced their demons and got on with the job. I think this is important in two ways. One, for people who didn't like the previous film, it's like, (laughs) two fingers to you, Last Jedi. On the other hand, even for people who like The Last Jedi, it gives some context and explanation and meaning to what actually happened in that film. That, yes, Luke did this, but he did think he was wrong to do it. Or that that Holdo manoeuvre, again, physics-related, of jumping through hyperspace and flying through another ship, it was actually one in a million. That was actually a rare thing. It's not said in The Last Jedi it's a rare thing, but here we learn it's a rare thing. I can now retcon back into The Last Jedi and go, okay, she's done that. It was a rare thing, but she's done it. Okay, cool. That's a minor thing. The big thing I liked about this film is that we had adventures. It was almost an Indiana Jones style kind of movie with them finding old relics and they're off on adventures in deserts and stuff. And Poe even looked like Indiana Jones to some degree. Or maybe the guy from The Mummy, whatever his name was. I just loved that, that we were back to adventures. It felt very Star Wars and it was really good. But there was just so much in the film and it was so rushed. It's not a perfect film by any means, but ah, it was fun. And Richard? Wow. Um, I'm actually going to go with you, Dave. I think that the stuff between Ray and Kylo or, or Ben, um, they were the best scenes in the movie. If I had to pick one, I, I'm actually going to go not so much for a big, heavy, dramatic scene, but probably the fight on the wreckage of the Death Star. Um, yes. I thought that was amazingly well put together and shot. No, I agree. As I said earlier, that is now, because I'm a fan, I make lists, that is now my second favourite lightsaber fight in the whole saga. Can, can I ask what the first is? Oh, Luke and Vader in the Empress Throne Room. Okay. You know what else was remarkably well put together? The Death Star. There was still glass in some of those panels. How does something survive a nuclear explosion, then fly through atmosphere, then crash, and you still have glass in the windows? I'm sorry. We shouldn't be bringing that up at this stage of the podcast. But yeah, no, Richard, I agree. That was an incredibly cool and exciting scene. And I think that that's one of the scenes that will help to elevate this movie. So how do we feel about this sequel trilogy? I know, Rob, when we did our review of The Force Awakens a number of years ago now, we both said that, look, it's hard to judge this movie until we see it in the context of a trilogy. Well, we have now seen it in the context of a trilogy. Do you think that the movies are better in that context do you think that this trilogy worked or not rob what about you oh look dave i i think these movies go up down and then start to come up again so they're then they're not perfect i think back to the force awakens though and i think it had some fabulous stuff in it i didn't care that it was a retread in some ways of a new hope it felt like everything was an open book and where could it go from here and i felt so positive at the end of the force awakens only to be a let down by the second film i i i I can't say it any different uh but i do think this is a return to form albeit a rushed and 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 messy one uh so not a perfect trilogy but i'm i'm happy to have seen it i enjoyed all three movies and i think as three adventures in space they all work and i enjoy them all and i'm going to watch them all again many times over the years do i think that they're a coherent trilogy that works together no I don't, and I don't think it stands that way. But then again, I would say that of this saga, the only trilogy that really works as one thematically plotted coherent trilogy is actually 1, 2, and 3, which for all their faults, thematically are all in tune with each other, and there is a story that very logically permeates through them. Well, you know, before Richard has his say, I'll just say quickly, between episodes one and two, a long period of time has passed and you can believe a lot of things have fallen into place and characters have developed and evolved. In this trilogy, there is no time between episodes one and two, so we have no sense that the characters have got together and become really great mates or anything like that. It, it's, 
it's a failing, I think, of the storytelling there, that there's no gap between the first and second movies, whereas here there was a bit of a gap between two and three. Yeah, as indeed there was between Star Wars and Empire, and you had time for those characters to develop. Richard, what mm. do you think of the whole trilogy as a, as, as a holistic body of work? Well, as, as you two have just said, and indeed as we said a few times during the podcast, given we all felt it was quite disjointed in the way the three films hang together... Uh, yes, yeah, so there, there is, I think there are some problems there. For me, it's probably more a case, I don't know whether it's just I'm getting older or whether I, there's better stuff around now. I, I can honestly say I probably wasn't as invested in this trilogy of movies, perhaps as I was when they first announced the prequels. Um, I mean, the prequels and how I ended up with the prequels is perhaps another discussion. I'd have to say probably in terms of anticipation of movies I've seen in the last, say, five, six years while this trilogy has been running, I've probably been far more anticipating the Marvel movies um, than I have these, uh, especially once I got past The Force Awakens. Uh, Overall, I really enjoyed the trilogy. There is stuff I didn't particularly like Last Jedi, but there there were moments in there and things in there that I did enjoy. Um, Yes, I will probably come back to them and watch them at some point. I think... Force Awakens is the only one I've rewatched. I don't think I've rewatched Last Jedi. Um, so yeah, look, I enjoyed it. I'm happy that it's ended. But I, I as I said I, earlier, I really think this is probably it for Star Wars movies for the time being. Which is a very nice segue into the final dot point that I had for this conversation, which is what next for Star Wars? And I think the answer is we're not sure, and perhaps that a time to go away and reflect might be very useful because something we discussed during our review of Solo, Richard, was that the way these movies have been created was a terrible process. Usually when you create a movie, there is a very long pre-production period. You work out what you want the movie to do, how the movie is going to feel. Out of that, you then appoint a director. The director then talks about what way he or she sees the movie going, what decisions they're going to make, who they're going to cast, and who they can get to cast. And then finally, when you've got all of that locked away, you then greenlight the movie, set a shooting date, and then from there, you announce when you're going to release this movie. With the Star Wars movies, all five of them, Disney came out and said, we are going to release this movie on this date, followed by Rogue One on this date, Episode Nine on this date, da 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 and then scrambled to find directors and casts. And... Clearly, they got halfway through the process with Colin Trevorrow and they've gone, actually, the movie you want to make isn't the movie we want to make and you're scrambling to get another director. They had to do major reshoots on Rogue One. They had to do major, major, major reshoots on Solo. I think the creative process for these movies has been abysmal. I think that's the biggest fault with the whole saga and that they need to go back and take the time to do them all correctly and organically and if that means we don't see a star wars movie for a few extra years i'm okay with that uh, that's my rant and that's, that's what i have to say rob what about you look dave i think tv is going to carry the can for the next uh, five years and i think that's a good thing i think that's what tv does now tv tells better stories than films anyway because characters are allowed to breathe plots are allowed to be spread out TV is fantastic, especially now that special effects are at such a a price, they can do them on TV really well. And I think that's going to be the future. George Lucas could see that 10, 15 years ago when he started scripting his TV series. I believe Mark Gaddis from Doctor Who even scripted some of those episodes for him. And Disney would now own those scripts. They're on a shelf somewhere. There's 50-odd episodes of a TV series that he was writing that was all about the underworld and all exciting stuff happening in the Star Wars galaxy. George Lucas could see this long before anyone else could. And so TV will carry the can. And when Star Wars comes back, my big prediction is it won't be a trilogy. It'll be one-off films. But it may be one-off films that, if they're successful, may tie together over time. And let's say they'll do them in the Old Republic. Okay. That's a, that's a very specific tip. Richard, any final comments from you? No, I think TV is where it will go. I mean, look, we know there are, what, two more series coming, the Kenobi series and the Cassian Andor series. And, and look, you would think they will be the first of many. Assuming Mandalorian doesn't actually have a definitive end in a week or so's time, given the success of that, you pretty much guarantee that'll be getting a second series. Surely. So I don't think they'll be back to films anytime soon. 
Um, I, I think that they'll let this rest for a bit, um, concentrate on television, and then you know maybe again when you sort of built up the goodwill and the fan interest and everything again, then maybe jump back to another movie. Yeah, I certainly want to see more Star Wars movies. I think Star Wars does work well in the cinematic world, and, and there is a place for them. But yes, I want them done well, and I agree, television can certainly carry the, carry the universe forward in the meantime. And as we iterated earlier, we will be back in the not-too-distant future to have a specific chat about Mandalorian, because I think it's fair to say we've all enjoyed and we all want to have a chat about it. Yes, we do. I, I suppose in some ways, though, and look, you feel free to cut this if you want, is... is a big Star Wars movie now the spectacle it was years ago? I think that it can be and I think the Avengers showed that done really well you can still make a movie an event uh, thing in pop culture and you know you can't deny that Endgame and Infinity War were that Um, frankly I think the Jurassic Park movies have done that they have still been big event things that you need to go to the cinema and see and hear and appreciate so I, I know where you're going, and, and, and you're right, you're, you're right, it, it, it's not going to be quite the thing it was in 1977, where there was, you know, the big, big blockbuster of the summer, and, and all the rest of that, but no, I think it can be done. Yeah, that that's where I was going to go with my reply, Dave. I think back in the day, if you wanted to see special effects in a film, you saw a Star Wars film or you saw maybe E.T., something from Spielberg, or you didn't see anything, whereas now every film can do it and every TV show can do it. So is that where you were going with that thought, Richard, that they're, they're just not big spectacles because everyone can do it? I, I Yes, to an extent. And I suppose leading back to my point about how I probably wasn't as invested uh, perhaps in this trilogy as I, as I had been in the past. I mean, and again, look, I'm obviously a bit older than you guys. And look, I do remember... Um, sort of living, sorry, I do remember seeing Star Wars as an eight-year-old and then living through that probably 18 months after Star Wars released, where it was simply the single biggest thing on the planet. Yeah, and, and, and that's not a Star Wars thing, that's a cultural thing. I mean, I'm old enough just to remember Batman 1989 and that summer of Batman where Batman just across the Western world was the thing, mm. it was the movie, it rolled out across the world, it rolled out across the country and all that sort of thing. It Cinema has changed, uh, I, I, and you're right, it's harder to be an event pick, but I think it can still be done, and I think there is still a place where you can only appreciate a certain level of well-made movie, cinematography, soundscaping, acting, all the rest of that in a cinema, and I would hope that Star Wars gets there and does that again. Absolutely, and just to throw in my own background, I saw Empire in the cinemas when I was five, and it was a three-year wait to see Return mm-hmm. of the Jedi when I was eight. What did I do in those years in between? I pretty much exclusively played with Star Wars action yep. figures. It was like the biggest thing in my world for, for years. Yeah. And uh, on, on the other hand, and it, I'm a couple of years younger than both of you, and I actually came to Star Wars and Empire and Return of the Jedi on VHS. So they were never quite the big event things for me. They were sort of something that I liked, but mm. it, as I've said before... It was actually reading the Timothy Zahn trilogy that turned me from someone who liked Star Wars into a fan of Star Wars. But I've perhaps not quite had that same level of investment in Luke and Leia and Han that people five to ten years older than me have because I did come to them on VHS. I actually thought you were going to say you came in via something like Caravan of Courage or um, Battle for Endor. But, uh... <laughs> well, well, actually, actually, I'm fairly or confident. Droids. I'm fairly confident, actually, that Caravan of Courage would have been the first Star Wars movie I saw when it was, you know, the Channel 7 late night movie or something. <laughs> so <laughs> that is actually probably a fair comment. And look, on that, I think we've, we've teased this out enough. I, I, I've said all I have to say, Rob, Richard. Yeah, likewise. I'm good. You know, it's been a lot of fun chatting about Star Wars with you. I'm sure we'll have many more chats. And look, I know we will because we're going to be talking Mandalorian soon. In terms of movies coming up, I don't know what our next Doctor Who show review is going to be, but I'm sure there will be one. But yeah, like I think it's good that we've basically had a very positive uh, take on Rise of Skywalker. And I think we're all still Star Wars fans at the end of it. For sure. I think we're a lot more lenient on this film than a lot of reviewers have been to date from what I can see and I think that's a shame I think this is a good film at heart it's a fun film I enjoyed it as I watched it I walked out and said that was fun yes as we've demonstrated you can pick it apart you can really pick it apart and I think there is a bit of a thing in the zeitgeist now where it's kind of cool to knock Star Wars and that's a shame 
but I reckon this will do quite well. Um, look, it'll make a billion. Um, I don't think it'll quite make two, but I think it will be very successful and a lot of people will enjoy it. Uh, now, in the next week, we will have our regular Doctor Who show December episode where we will be taking questions from the audience and just having a bit of fun with that. Uh, we also have a podcast of decision that will come out over the course of summer, or at least in the Southern Hemisphere summer, winter for the, for the North. That's being edited at the moment. Richard, you and I are appearing on 42 to Doomsday's uh, Christmas episode, which is being released the day this is being recorded, so we'll be out by the time this is released. And obviously, Richard, we do Spacefall, a Blake 7 podcast, which will be uh, continuing after a bit of a break at the start of 2020. Yes, and I will say for anyone listening to this who listens to Spacefall, we are still going and we will be back, I promise. Yes, the end of the year has been very busy for us and that's fine. But, yep, there'll be a Doctor Who show out in a few days' time. There will be. And also starting in 2020, of course, that new series of Doctor Who where we'll be doing our weekly shows. Absolutely. So we're going to be doing a review of episodes one and two combined. So if you don't see us dropping something straight after episode one, uh, that's why we're going to, we've decided that just because of the timing and the time of the year and everything, we're going to do it as one combined review. And uh, I'm going to be overseas for three of those episodes. So Rob, we're going to need someone to stand in for that. We'll see if we can find anyone. <laughs> can you see anyone here on the line? Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it would involve him watching them, though, so we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> and, look, on that note, it's been a fun discussion, guys. I've really enjoyed it. But I've been Dave. I've been Rob. I'm Richard. And we'll all speak again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.